0: Welcome and thanks for listening to the Sermon Podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. The coronavirus is wreaking havoc in lives across Hawaii and around the world. Life is hard enough, and now this. First Pres Assistant Pastor Steve Page has a word for us who are struggling through life in this sermon called Sunday Hope Amid Friday Fears.
1: You know, last week we celebrated Easter, and it was indeed a very unique Easter. It was the first time in our country's history, perhaps in world history, where we Christians could not meet together to celebrate the central event of our faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, needless to say, this pandemic has radically changed our lives. We're all walking down a road we have never been before. And when we go into uncharted territory with a threatening sickness hanging over our heads or with the the threat of unemployment and financial hardship staring us in the face, well, it can easily drain the hope right out of our Christian faith. So in keeping with the Easter theme, today's scripture looks back at a scene that drained the hope out of the very early followers of Jesus. It's that horrible crucifixion that took place on Good Friday. But oddly, that day brought tremendous hope to one particular guy that wasn't even on the radar to Jesus into the absolute end. Now before I read the passage, let me preface it by laying out a few things. Now if you read about the thoughts and actions of people in and around the crucifixion on Good Friday, what you will see is that fear peppers the landscape. There's a fear of Peter being associated even knowing Jesus. There's a fear of the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, who feared that the Jewish mob uh, or or what Caesar would do to him if he didn't take care of this so-called insurrectionist Jesus. And of course, there was the the fear of the the Jewish leaders of, of what Jesus' life and message would do to their traditions and their influence over the people. And of course, the fear of the disciples is there as well, as they're holding themselves, up, holding themselves up in a room, trying to figure out how to survive, and the list goes on. See, bottom line, on that Good Friday, fear is just all over the place. And perhaps this is where a good number of folks in our world today find themselves. Eyeball deep in Friday fears. And let's face it, on, on the very factual level, we can see why people feel full of fear. People are sick and dying, many state restrictions resemble martial law, domestic violence has dramatically spiked, many businesses are struggling, unemployment in some states is reaching record highs, even in Hawaii, and many are wondering how to pay their most basic bills like rent or mortgage or electricity or food, and let's not forget the many folks who have their hopes and dreams for retirement and raises or promotions or extending their education has been set way back So yeah, it's a time packed with Friday fears. And when fear permeates the personal and the social landscape, hope usually suffers. And it's because hope takes such a beating in a time like these, I want to zero in today on a scene during Good Friday that surprisingly can infuse our lives with hope. Now remember, by this time, Jesus is mocked and spit upon and punched and beaten. He's whipped to shreds and then hung on a cross to die. And yet, amid all the abandonment and the injustice and the humiliation and degradation and vile suffering, several things happen that blow me out of the water. So let's read from Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there, was, uh, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. And they said, He saved others, let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. Soldiers also came up and mocked him. They'd offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the King of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a, a written notice above him which read, This is the King of the Jews. Now, one of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, saying, I tell you the truth today, you will be with me in paradise. Now let's look at a couple of things here that can easily get lost in the brevity of this passage. First, first, our text says that Jesus was crucified between two criminals. The word criminal here literally means evildoer and it can be interpreted in this context to mean rebel or an insurgent. Some scholars believe that, that given the meaning of this word that these two men were probably meant to be executed with Barabbas. That was the man who was an insurrectionist and murderer and who was freed by Pilate the governor instead of Jesus. And perhaps as revolutionaries, this end is not only tragic and painful for them, but utterly embittering. In fact, we we see in one criminal his bitterness just oozing out in the form of derision. In verse 39, we read he was mocking Jesus' claim to be a savior. And notice that this isn't just a one-and-done comment. But he kept on deriding him, kept on and on and on doing it. You know, as I reflected on this man, I tried to empathize with him a little bit. And I thought, you know, I'm sure as a rebel, at some point he started out with the hope for real change. You know, maybe he was willing to risk all the violence and and the difficulties of life and being on the run for the better part of his life, just to have a better outcome, not just for himself, but maybe for his family, his people, his country. And now, for all the sweat and sacrifice and risk, where does he end up? Stripped of all dignity and left to die a humiliating, and slow death. So what does he do with this bitter reality? He hardens his heart and he closes his soul to any hope of redemption from God or anyone else. It really is a tragic ending for this man. So why bring out all these little details? Because I think some of us can relate to that kind of bitter despair and cynicism. Some of us too have tried to better our lives through sweat and sacrifice and through education and, and making all the right investments. You know, we, we, we went out and we got the right degrees and we worked a, a lot of overtime and, and we really tried to be a moral person and, and kept our nose clean. We coached our kids, we volunteered at the food bank, we served the church. And yet, yet, despite all this, illness hits. Layoffs hit Recession hits Betrayal hits Divorce hits Infertility hit You get the idea Anyone know what I'm talking about? You know, I think it's safe to say That sometimes the wear and tear Of real life can really cause Our Christian faith To deteriorate And all the language of hope And God's love And God's kingdom coming That Easter proclaims Is often muddled or muted by the harsh and distressing realities of everyday life. So my question to you is this. When your hopes and dreams for what life ought to be collapses into a heap of rubble, where does your faith go? Where does your hope go? You know, I knew this couple some years ago. Great folks, deeply committed to Jesus, a real passion for for God. And, And the wife wanted so bad to get pregnant, and she and her husband did everything possible to make that happen. In fact, they spent a lot of money in the process. But sadly, at the end of the day, she remained infertile. Now, not getting pregnant seemed like a huge blow to the hope that she put in the Lord to have a baby. Now, some of you ladies know exactly the excruciating pain of standing in such a place. Now, I don't mean to be insensitive by telling this story. I don't mean to be insensitive for those of you who have gone through similar things. I know it is a very difficult and disheartening thing for a lot of people. However, something else happened to my friend along this deeply hurtful journey. You see, her shattered hopes and dreams were morphed into something else. Adoption, and not just adoption, but but more precisely, giving a new life to an unwanted baby from a very poor area of our world. My point is, as my friend's heart was broken, her dreams changed. But she didn't go from a broken dream to a bitter heart. But she took her broken dream and she put it in God's hands, and by doing so, she went from a broken dream to a changed dream, a dream that ended up bringing hope to a child she never even knew existed before. And this new dream from God not only changed my friends, but they changed the entire trajectory of the life of that one little baby. Do you know only the bitterness of broken dreams, or do you know the hope of changed dreams through Jesus Christ? See, broken dreams can, can be bitter because we can only see what we didn't get. And so we conclude that God is just not working in my life. He just doesn't care. But change dreams find the other blessings we didn't see or expect. And we conclude that, you know what, God is still at work in all kinds of ways. Different ways than I expected or planned, but he's still at work. You see, God's hand was indeed on my friend. But what she didn't know was that his hand was also on a little impoverished orphan in a foreign country. And in his wisdom, and through her shattered dreams, now think about this, through her shattered dreams, God brought about a miracle no one saw coming. Imagine if they chose to be embittered or resentful about what they went through. Where would this story have ended? Look, I get it. When we experience the reality of life and, and the world's sin and the heartbreak of living, it can really leave us with at least some level of resignation, cynicism, despair. And, and, and it can seem that Friday fears are a lot more powerful than Sunday hope. But what would happen if we put our broken dreams, our broken relationships, our broken lives? fully into the hands of God and allowed him to build a new future than the ones we planned on. Now, one person on that hillside did exactly that and it changed everything for him for all eternity. It was that other criminal hanging on the cross next to Jesus. You see, that rebel, whose hopes for a better life was also dashed, just like the other guy, has a whole different perspective on Jesus than anyone on that hillside. In fact, he arguably makes one of the most remarkable statements of faith in the entire New Testament. Remarkable not because of his exact words, but because of the conditions in which he says them. First of all, he chastises that other cynical criminal and says, Don't you fear God? We're punished justly for, for what we're, we're getting, what our deeds deserve, he says. But this man, this man has, has done nothing. And then he says this, and this is insane, given the circumstances, he says this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, why is it crazy to say that? Because by any, any reasonable view of things, everything that Jesus stood for is shot. It's over, it's dead. A leader is slowly dying on a cross. If that's not a good reason to move on and forget about what he stood for, I don't know what is. And yeah, well, okay, maybe he had great ideas, but obviously they're not realistic. Look at where it leads to. What good are his ideals and goals in this kind of harsh world that we live in? Have you ever thought about the same, about Jesus' ideals and goals for our world today when it gets a little harsh? Ideas like love your enemy, bless those who hate you, Pray for those who mistreat you. Forgive those who hurt you. Do you read such things in the Bible as real truth for a real world? Or are you a bit more jaded than that? Has a Friday world convinced you that Jesus' version of reality is unrealistic? It's futile. Yeah, you admire it. But you just can't fully buy into it. Well, this criminal bought into Jesus' version of reality, and despite what he was going through, despite looking over and seeing Jesus, seeing a mangled mess of a man, this guy says, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. In other words, despite all this, Jesus, I still believe that you are the king. And this cross is not the end of the road. This hate, this pain, this wretched hell is not the last word for my life. Can you believe this guy? He's the one guy in the whole day who still has hope in Jesus Christ, even in the middle of his greatest anguish. And not even the men and women who walked with Jesus for three years could see it. Yet this guy does. You give me a few of those kinds of criminals and we will change the world. In fact, I pray that we become a church of such criminals. Not that we become criminals, okay, but you know what I mean. But that we have the kind of faith that when when times are overwhelming, we still fully trust Jesus. How about you? Can you live in your Friday world with a Sunday hope? What is the cost? our lives, to our families, to our culture, our world if we Christians cannot. Now note this, this is really important, Jesus who remember is beaten to a pulp, bleeding like crazy right now, he's naked on a cross being continually mocked, He's, he's struggling with every breath just to live, he's in absolute emotional and physical agony and he lifts his weary head for a moment and through his swollen blood-stained eyes, he looks over to that man and utters probably with a very strained voice, I tell you the truth today, you will be with me in paradise. Now you got to stop and reflect, how great a love is this? I mean, how can Jesus still, after all of what he's been going through up until that moment for the last 24 hours, how can he concern himself with the salvation of one more person, a criminal, much less. Are you kidding me? Why should he care at all about anyone in that moment? But he does, and that's just the thing. Even though we see human hatred and evil at their zenith in that moment, Jesus sees people here who are still worth loving. Remember in verses 33 and 34, as he's being crucified, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Think about that. After we throw at him our worst, after people who have been his best friends betrayed him, abandoned him, denied him, after experiencing the full force of human hatred and savage violence, he looks at that brutal, selfish, violent, sin-soaked crowd and says, Father, forgive them. If there is a more loving, gracious, or forgiving statement ever made in all of human history, I do not know it. My point is when when Jesus looks at the criminals and that hate-filled crowd, he sees more than wickedness or sin or evil. He sees people worth loving, people worth saving, people worth forgiving, worth dying for. And here's the good news for us. He sees the same when he looks at you and me even in our worst vile, wicked, or sinful moments. Pause and drink that in for a minute. Jesus will never stop loving me, no matter what. And just as importantly, this is really important, he feels the same when he looks at all those people you think are the most vile, wicked, and sinful people in the world. This is really crucial to grasp here. This is important for our world because we need Christians who can see sinners like Jesus does. I mean, how else can we win the world to Christ? How else can we begin to see his kingdom come through our lives on earth as it is in heaven unless we see the sinful world like he does? Now, let me be honest. Even as a pastor, I've struggled with getting this right in my own heart. You know, some years ago, I was preaching at a weekend church family camp uh, on the beaches along the Waianae coast, and the first night was a Friday night. It went great. We all went to bed, feeling soulfully boosted by the prayer, by the worship, by the Word. You know, it was a great time. Then, then somewhere in the middle of the night, a bunch of young people set up camp right next to us, and long into the night, these guys partied like crazy music blasting from their stereos. There was drugs, there was drunkenness, yelling. who was screaming for hours. And by 4 a.m., by 4 a.m., I, the speaker, the reverend, wanted to call the cops and get rid of them. After all, how can I preach well if I'm dead tired the next morning? These guys are ruining God's work. I had all kinds of reasons. Well, apparently a number of the folks from the church saw things differently. They saw all of this as an opportunity, not for the police, but for ministry. You see, the next morning, uh, a couple of the church members went over to this group of young people and actually invited these obnoxious people for breakfast and then to lunch and then to listen to the preacher, to listen to the guy who just a few hours before wanted to call the cops and rid the beach of these people. And here's the thing, as it turned out, by Sunday morning, by Sunday morning, half of these young people, like five or six people, gave their life to Christ. And they were baptized right there on that beach. Look, part of my point is this. When I looked at those young people, I I saw them through very cynical eyes, through Friday eyes. But the church people saw them with a view from Sunday hope. And think about it. That changed everything for five or six young people for all eternity. So as I finish up, let me say this. If there's one thing we see at the cross, it's that the Christian life is not about how to live such good lives so we can get God to like us or to love us. Rather, it's about awakening to the fact that he already loves us even at our worst. Through the cross, God says the worst you can do to me can find grace and forgiveness in my unfailing love. Your hatred, your moral failures, your bitterness, your greed, your sin can find mercy and compassion in my eternal embrace. Do you know such good news today? Or do you, do you struggle with internalizing this amazing truth, truth for your own life? You know, some of you today may be eyeball deep in Friday fears, and you you need to experience resurrection hope. Hope for your marriage. Hope for your singleness. Hope for your family. Hope for your employment status, your financial status, your health. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ, but now you feel that it's time. If so, I want to lead you in a very simple prayer to help you make that commitment. And afterwards, I'll pray for the rest of us. But for now, let's all close our eyes. Let's take a breath. Just breathe in and breathe out. And if you want to give your life to Jesus, just repeat after me as I speak this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for loving me. Despite my sin, I ask for your forgiveness. And as best as I know how, commit my life to you. Lord, help me to live a new life in you. And now I want to pray for the rest of us. Lord God, by your mercy, come and fill us. Help us, Lord, to find hope through you. I pray for those who might be frightened or scared or suffering financially, physically, emotionally, soulfully. Lord, I pray that you would come by the power of your Spirit and make manifest the hope that we have in you. Bring healing, bring change to people's lives, transform our bitterness and broken dreams, and help us to dream again, and see hope through, through your eyes for our life. We need you, Jesus. We confess, without you we can do nothing. In your name we pray, amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, and gave your life to Jesus for the very first time, I want to invite you to hit that little raise hand button that you see down in the chat area. And we have information that we want to give you, and and so this can really help you out as you start your new journey out with Jesus. And if you want, you can also hit the prayer button. And we have people standing by who would love to pray with you further. So please, don't hesitate to do that. We would love to pray for you and get to know you. And again, if you just made Jesus the center of your life today, I want to invite you to hit that raise hand button or that prayer button on your computer, because again, we would love to pray with you today. And remember, if you want to join a discussion group right after this service and you want to discuss what you experienced or what you've learned here today, just hit that link in the chat area. Now, if you're watching this and you're not streaming on Sunday but are seeing this at some other later time during the week, please visit our website or call us or drop us an email. We would love to to hear from you. We want to talk to you. We want to pray with you. We want to serve you in any way that we can. And so now, before we leave, receive this blessing. May you discover or rediscover the bottomless love of Jesus today. And may God give you the courage and the power to bestow His love to others in a very rebellious, hostile, and sin-soaked world. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, God bless you, and thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time.
0: If we have the eyes and perspective of Jesus Christ, we always have hope for others as well as ourselves. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Normally, we meet Sundays at our Ko'olau campus or at the Vine in Kaka'ako. But for now, you can find the entire church service streamed online on the church website, fpchawaii.org. For our virtual church service, click the online church box at our regular church service times. Sunday morning at 8, 9.30 and 11.11 and Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. Be sure to check your email for links to sermons, church news and updates, and daily devotionals. If you have any questions or needs, you can reach out to the church through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Pres, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thanks for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2020 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.